Hey, good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. I am not preaching from the book of James tonight. Um, and when Christina was, <laughs> Christina was up here uh, introducing me and said, um, we're going to hear a word on worship tonight. I was like, no, I'm not going to talk on worship either. Um, how's everyone doing? Sure. Uh, my name is Andy. I um, have the pleasure of being worship pastor over at New Life East. And um, I also um, oversee the prayer that happens in here on Wednesdays. You guys should get your butts in here on Wednesdays and pray because uh, some pretty amazing things happen uh, once you bring your petitions to the Lord. And um, this accent of mine is not Australian. It's also clearly not American. And um, um, But from... Uh, London, England. Um, I moved over to the U.S. in 2001, and for 20 years I worked at the church um, that Eddie also came from um, in Chicago. Um, so he and I got to work together for 10 years, and um, <coughs> it was a trip. Let me just say that. And um, so tonight I want to um, talk to you about talking. Um, there's a phrase that I came across just recently um, by the French. God bless them. Anybody French here? Um, because you may be able to say this better than me, but the phrase is um, l'esprit d'escalier. Oh, ho, ho, l'esprit d'escalier. <laughs> Taking French classes when I was a little British kid would be like l'esprit d'escalier, mate, you know. And they say it way better than anybody else. Oh, l'esprit d'escalier. And I can't believe that I was like in my 40s when I figured out this phrase and what it means. But do any of you have the disease that I have, which is that after you've said something usually in a moment of conflict with someone, um, like five minutes later, you think to yourself, if only I had said that. Anybody else or just me? That is what that phrase means. They have the like, they walk off and they're like, l'esprit d'escalier. <laughs> you should look it up. It's something to do with like, the staircase effect, they call it. That, like you think of something at the top of the staircase and then by the time you're down at the bottom, you're like, ah, oh, I wish I would have said X. Anyway, as Christians, I think that we hold ourselves, we should hold ourselves to a standard, but we also hold ourselves, um, or let's, better said, maybe other people project on us a false standard of how we should talk to one another. I thought you were a Christian. Anybody ever said that to you? I mean, I've definitely said things to people where I'm just trying to be honest with them, and, and they've been like, I thought you were a pastor. And I'm like, wait a second. 
there are many different ways that you could all agree that something is said the right way or the wrong way. But really, we're only going to survive as Christians if we go back to the Word and we figure out what the true north of saying things are. And very often, we don't actually like dig into how Jesus spoke to people. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to just, I'm not going to preach at you. I'm going to ask you to do some, I'm going to ask you some questions that's going to create a response. And when I ask you to do that, I want you to be honest. And the person that I want you to be honest with is yourself. When you're honest with yourself, you're being honest to the Lord. Okay? It's not two different things. When you're totally honest with yourself, the Spirit of God is present, and He is like, thank you. And you open yourself up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit when you're simply just honest with yourself. I have, as a Christian, I have tried the right response because, because I am a Christian and I feel like I'm obliged to. I, I wouldn't be standing up here and talking to you about this tonight unless I was willing to say to you, I have failed many, many times of trying to say the right thing to someone and not really pausing and thinking about what would Jesus say in this moment um, what is the appropriate thing to say? Maybe the appropriate thing is not to say anything. And so to look at the way that Jesus responded to people um, is crucial. The answer lies with Jesus, how he spoke, what he said, and how he said it. And all of this is found in God's word. Looking at God's word, the book of Ezra, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. Jesus was a man who responded with the word of God. John 17, uh, John chapter 7, my teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. John chapter 8, the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. John chapter 14. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. And John 14, the word you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. Brothers, sisters, I would love for us to, be, to walk the way that Jesus walked by saying, if I'm, if I'm really going to be able, this is Jesus saying, if I'm really going to say the right thing, then I have to be in the Word and drink from the Word to find the way to say the right thing. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus admitting the fact that he, he might say the wrong thing. Can you get your head around that? So Jesus was all about responding the right way. So first, we have to look at how Jesus responds. And second, the application for us tonight is go to the place where we can find the way to do that. Cheers. So, a little look into how Jesus responds to people around him. 
Here's some interesting facts. The Gospels record over 40 interactions that Jesus has with individuals. Nine times the Bible records that Jesus initiates a conversation. 25 times others start the conversation with him. Jesus also responds when a third party starts a conversation. And the majority of conversations happen in a workplace. Other common places of significant conversation were in homes. Very few were in religious settings. Let me say that again. (laughs) Jesus went and acted like Jesus most of the time outside of religious places. I'm just pushing that across the table to you. And I'm saying, let the Spirit do what He wants in that little bit of observation. But patterns of speech, patterns of speech are our biggest observation tonight. How you say things is, import, is as important as the things that you say. Jesus asks questions in more than half of his interactions. He's not giving solutions. He's asking questions in more than half of his interactions. He's connected new ideas to existing frames of reference for a person. So he's using metaphors and analogies. Interestingly, he doesn't press for closure or a decision. Now, I'm a person who does press for closure and a decision. When I'm in conflict with someone, we need to figure this out. Anybody else? Okay, yeah. Apparently, Jesus is a little bit more chilled out than you and I are about that. Jesus also leaves the room for people to think and come to their own conclusions. Okay, here's some ways that he goes at it. Jesus initiates conversation. Here's two great examples. Cheers. The Samaritan woman in John 4. I'm going to give you the response that Jesus has, okay? And then the insight that we gain from it. With the Samaritan woman, generosity, patience, non-discriminatory, non-condemning. And the insight that we gain is he listens regardless of past behaviors and is generous and kind. The crippled beggar, okay, I want to camp on this story just for a second, because this is a good Jesus story right here. Um, The leper at at the pool, okay, so this is in John chapter 5. Jesus do you guys know this story? Jesus comes to the to the pool, and the pool is healing waters, and there's a there's a crippled man there, and Jesus walks up to the man, and the man says, No one has helped me. He complains. Okay? Anybody know any complaining Christians? Just be honest with me for a second. Anybody know any complaining Christians? Wait, this whole section you don't know any complaining Christians? What church do you go to? Anybody know any complaining Christians? Ah, thank you. 
So this guy isn't even a Christian. We don't know, right? But like he's, he's sitting there and he's complaining. No one has helped me down into the water. No one has helped me. Jesus in this moment does something that I think is one of the best moves, special moves that he has. Too often, we are surrounded by people who as Christians, whatever, take yourself to school, workplace, college, family, whatever it is, where you put yourself in a position around someone who's complaining and they look at you as the Christian and they say, help me. And you want to help them. But what Jesus does in this moment is fascinating. He leans down to the man and he asks him a question. Do you know what the question is? Do you want to be well? Now, I've done a few more laps around the track than you guys have, but we're on the same track. I'm just a few more laps around it. And I've met so many people who profess Christ as Savior and don't want to be well. And we all kind of suffer from that a little bit sometimes. All of us at some point are a little fearful of what if Jesus actually does do something right now. And sometimes it's easier to complain and use the words that we say as Christians to throw stones at other people instead of find a solution because it's a more comfortable place to be the victim. And Jesus looks down at him and he says, do you want to be well? Of which the man responds, yes. And then do you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't reach down. In that moment, an incredible thing happens. Jesus, by his own physical strength, could reach down and pick him up, yet he doesn't. Instead, he asks the man, as he is asking you, maybe right now in this moment, to engage two things, your volition, which is your choice, and your faith, which is your belief that Jesus can actually do the work. And he does not reach down. Instead, he looks at him and he says, get up. No one ever asks Jesus, how's your spiritual life going? <laughs> right? Because he would be like, what are you talking about? This is my life, all right? So in that moment, like the leper, <laughs> the crippled man doesn't look up at him and be like, call yourself a savior. 
like some people look at us when we give them the honest word and they say, call yourself a Christian. Because in the same way, well, no, I won't say that. My application to you in that moment is anybody who you're trying to work on in your life who may be like the complaining Christian or just the complaining person around you and you know that they need Jesus in their life, do you know what you're not? You're not their savior. You're never meant to be. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't go a thousand miles near it. You are not your brother's savior. You're not your sister or your parent's savior. You're not your best friend's savior. You're not the person that is hardest to love in your life, Savior. You are not. Jesus is the Savior. And he doesn't reach down. He just says to the man, do you want to be well? Well, get up. Also, take your stuff and get out of here. <laughs> take your mat, pick up your mess, and go. That's crazy to me. But that's Jesus, folks. And too often we feel like we have to fit into the cookie cutter, like, fairy kind of, I don't know, I can't even put words around it. Like, this, like, cheesy version of, well, let me help you. And sometimes when we're too much like that, like, we're not actually letting people get up and take their mat with them. We're not actually letting someone like engage their own choice that I want to be well and the faith which is required for Jesus to help them. I'm not telling you in any way, let me be very clear. I'm not telling you that's the way that you should treat people all the time. I'm just talking about the specific person that you know over and over and over again. You've kind of had conversations with them where you're like, but Jesus can do this. And they're like, yeah, I know, but like, I just, I just prefer to play the victim. You want to be well? He says. It's crazy to me. And yet it's Jesus' word for that man. Don't forget that with, with the Samaritan woman, generosity, patience, generous kindness. Jesus is figuring out the narrative, the, the, what's, what's happening in each situation and behaving accordingly. Jesus is asked something. The story of the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. The response is the question to make him think and the insight that we gain is sometimes people will not choose to listen. Interesting. The price may be too high for them. The person possessed with the demon, Jesus' response he asks him his name, giving him the benefit of dignity. And the insight that we gain is a path forward, can come from dignity and understanding of the situation, a restoration of dignity, freedom from sin. J 
Jairus, the synagogue ruler in Mark 5. Jesus took the time to listen and walk with him. And the insight that we gain is relationship isn't always convenient and may take you out of your way. The hemorrhaging woman, Mark chapter 5, desperate and deflated and fearful. Jesus' response, he eases her fears and affirms her faith. And the insight we gain is to use your relational equity to put people at ease and to love them in a way that they are seen. Here's Jesus responding to third parties, the tax collectors and other sinners invited to a party by Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus' response, he questions the Pharisees' logic and makes room for sinners to belong. And what we gain is don't be afraid to call people who marginalize others out. You hear that? Don't be afraid to call out people who marginalize others. Sorry, I said it wrong the first way. I'm saying it right this way. Don't be afraid to call out people who marginalize others. Give room for belonging at your table or around any table that you find yourself on. Herod, introduced by Pilate, Jesus' response. Jesus' response, he says nothing. Hmm. Anybody feeling attacked by someone right now? Anybody in the room? Feeling that someone's against you? Jesus' response was silence. Not everything needs a response or an answer. Nathaniel, invited by Philip. Jesus' response is, to is the acknowledgement of Nathaniel's doubts and questions and the insight that we gain is he invites his questions, assures answers, and invites him to much more abundance. And then the adulterous woman brought by the scribes. Jesus' response is that he directs his questions back to the accusers. And what we gain in insight is not to be intimidated by confrontation and be generous in forgiveness. So we see how he approaches people in crisis, the sick, people trying to be good parents, husbands and wives. We see him in confrontation. Here are seven takeaways that we got from that. Generosity in all things, no condemnation, Generous love, patience to walk alongside, not compromising the truth, creating belonging, dignifying people always, inviting them into more relationship. 
So, those are some of Jesus' responses. You know, when the Bible was written, they were reading it to understand the character of God. And what we've done with it in the Western world is we've started reading it to see how it applies to us. That's where we've gone wrong in all of this. Everything that I've just told you isn't about, well, let me go look at how Jesus responded to this person. It's more about a look into his character. And to see that not only was he generous and compassionate and silent and loving and gracious and kind, but also to the man at the pool, he was direct and honest. It's all in his character. So to see his response, we study him. But to become like him, my friends, it's not just about reading the Bible, but it's about drawing near to him as well. James 4, verse 6 to 8, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The kind of character that we're pulling out of Jesus through what we're learning here is compassionate, servant, loving, forgiving, committed, prayerful, gentle, patient, self-controlled, humble, which are, at the end of the day, just the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus himself says, seek first the kingdom, not the formula. Seek first the kingdom. Not the how do I be a Christian, but how do I just be a kid in the kingdom? Not how do I, how do I say the right thing, but instead, how can I just get as close to the Father as possible? You know, the essence of Christianity might be this, my friends, and I could get in trouble for telling you this, but maybe at the end of the day, you just got to get as close to God as you possibly can and then do whatever you want. Do you hear me? Get as close to God as you possibly can and then do what you want. Because... If that first thing happens, then the second thing will be influenced by it. I don't want to be known as someone who always has the wise word around the people that I love. Because I'll fail them at some point. But I want to be known as someone that when people are around me, they say, man, he spends time 
with the Father. This is where I'm going. Do you have a place to spend time with the Father? I like saying things that just kind of like shake it up a little bit, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a a, a batting average here or a or a, or a percentage bet that just like sixty percent of you are lying in whatever response you just gave to yourself right now. Because I just want to be as real as possible. Matthew. <laughs> Some of my favorite verses. Matthew 6, 5 and 6. Am I doing good on time? Cheers. so very British of me just to <laughs> Matthew 6 and when you pray you must not pray like the hypocrites for they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward Okay, let's just do the 2022 version of that. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to Instagram their quiet times. Surely they have received their likes. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. I'm just taking it out of that language and putting it into our language. When you behave like a Christian, don't show up at New Life Young Adults just to behave like a Christian because surely you will just receive the temporary affirmation you are looking for. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Wait a second, I'm sorry. You're saying he's not in public? No, he is in public. But are, you, but are you looking for proximity with God? Are you looking to spend time with him? Are you looking to be a kid in the kingdom? It's saying that the primary place to do that, my friends, is not here. Sorry. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Exactly. I've been a worship pastor for over 20 years. 
And for about the last 15 of those, I've been having my hand on the shoulder of young worship leaders who think that if they get up on stage and if they become part of a band that makes a record and, and if they climb the mountain of worship leadership, then surely they will receive the same thing that Chris Tomlin or whoever their idol, Jeremy Riddle or whoever their idol is. And I've spent the last 15 years pointing them to that verse saying, the secret to worship is worship in secret. Because the secret to prayer is prayer in secret. And you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't talk to. That's impossible. So I'm asking you the question tonight because I'm not messing around with you. Do you have a secret place? Answer that question honestly in your head first. Do you have a secret place? Go into the Go and find a secret place, it says. Close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Anybody want a reward? Anybody play the lottery this week? There's like $1.6 billion going up for grabs. I didn't, but I'm tempted. And I won't judge you if you did, honestly, good luck to you. But like, do something amazing with it. But like, but like that's a reward right there. But that's like holding a match to the sun of the reward that God, the reward that God has for you. But a match is easier to strike and closer to grab than it is for you to travel to the sun. And that's why you're more reluctant to go there. But I'm telling you, the reward that God has for you in the secret place is two things, I think. One, clearly, is answered prayer. But the second one is time spent with him. My name pops up all the time on, on the song thing. I've written a bunch of songs that are on New Life Records and Vertical Worship Records and everything. And, and uh, they sang a song tonight. Liz opened up with a song and my wife was standing with me back there and she was just like, your name is on that. And I was like, and I was like yeah, that was a song on a John Egan record. And she was like, I didn't know that. I was like, yeah. But do you know what I'm really proud of? I've written hundreds of songs that you'll never hear. And when I get to see Jesus face to face, if I have the courage to ask him, hey, what was your favorite song? God, please, Jesus, don't say, open up the heavens to me. <laughs> In fact, I know what he's going to do. He's going to sing something to me that I don't recognize. 
And I'm going to be like, I wrote that? And he was like, yeah. It was that one day you were just... It was that one day you were just like, it's real for me, right? But I want it to be real for you as well. And say it's that one day you were just sitting out with an acoustic guitar and you're just like sitting there just picking away and just saying this thing. He'll be like, I was right there. There's a guy who worked here for a number of years, five or six years, Dr. Pete Sanchez. Almost every worship set that happens in New Life, everybody sings I Exalt Thee at the end of it. You know that song, right? Because it's like, you feel like it's just like ingrained in your mind, right? Do you know the story of how that song came around? Pete, 25 years ago now, opened the book of Psalms, there's 150 of them, and sat down to write a song per psalm and wrote 150 songs to God. He read the psalm, he internalized it, and then he just wrote a song to God. Do you know where he did that? He did it in the secret place, my friends. And then God, in his boldness, knocked on Pete's door one day, probably through the process of someone else, and said, Pete, do you mind if I borrow one of those songs? I want the whole world to sing it. That is not an upgrade. That is a diluting of the purity, the pure nature of what that song was by sharing it with everybody. Pete is the richest because he has 149 songs that you'll never hear. And that's a great little story to give a ratio of what the secret place should look like in your life compared to the private Christianity that you live out in front of everybody. Let's give one song of your life to the public and 149 to the secret place. Do you have a secret place? Okay. Let's go there. This is not just an event that you show up to. And I know something that God can do in this moment, and I want you to trust me with it. Okay? I know something that God can do in this moment, and I want you to trust me with it. Thank you. little apprehensive cheers that time, but... <laughs> if you don't have a secret place... And you're just giving that one song 
because that's all you got. And there's 149 waiting the reward. And you just do not have that place. I want you to stand up right now. And if your heart is just thumping inside of your chest, that is the Spirit of God. Come on. Now, I'm not even going to look. I'll just put my back towards you. But, like, that's the first wave of people. Now, the second wave of people are the people who are just kind of like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I'm telling you right now, let the people who have stood up first be the encouragement for you to stand up now. And so just stand up. Just do it. I'm not even looking, if that helps. But just get up on your feet. I give you permission right now. Anyone else? Heart thumping. seated around one of the people who have just stood up I want you to stand up around them and get your hands on them right now let's get the band back up here as well just stay in the moment with me Holy Spirit, we invite your ministry, not just your presence, but your ministry, the ministering work of your hand upon the brothers and sisters who have stood up right now. I'm also just quickly going to pray over the people who were terrified to stand. And God sees you right now even with a hand on someone else's shoulder and you don't want to reveal yourself and God is he's saying to you do you want to be well you just have to say yes to him and Holy Spirit we invite your ministry here tonight I ask you to um, Holy Spirit, I would ask you to reveal a place within the minds of people who have stood up right now. That they would hear my story that um, with four boys in my house, there is not one square inch of a secret place. And so I found mine within my car. The discipline of not putting music on, but just closing the doors. Knowing that whenever we turn our affections to you, God, you become present. 
It's not a Jesus and he says, wait a second. It's a Jesus and he says, yes. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal in the minds of people tonight a place where they can dwell with you. A safe place, maybe they need. But for sure, a quiet place. A thin place. Where distraction is little and your presence is much. And Holy Spirit, I ask for the for a fresh pouring of your Holy Spirit that involves boldness, discipline, prioritization, an intention, a desire that will eventually turn to delight. By testing you in the way that you asked to be tested. You tested. You are a God that asks to be tested. You say in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we say yes to that. We say, Lord, we will taste it. We will go to that place and speak your name and see that you are there. Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters, all of them tonight, who voted with their feet to show up at Young Adults. Father, I pray over this community that in time spent with, in the Word and in time spent with you, that we would not learn how to behave like Christians, but simply we would learn to be kids in the kingdom. In the same way that as a parent, I'm not trying to raise good boys. I'm just trying to raise young men who enjoy Christ. Father, as you look down tonight upon your daughters and sons, may they hear these words that I say. I hope as words not from my mouth, but yours. You are welcome in the kingdom. Come and belong. Come and learn how to be like me. Get as close to me as you possibly can. Feast upon my word. Hide it within your heart. That as we love the people that hate us and, and love the people that are argumentative with us and love the people that are hard to love and love the people that are easy to love, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. 
lead us to the secret place. Lead us to your feet. And lastly, I pray this very, very serious, intentional prayer. I pray against the spirit of the enemy who will stand at the door of this building tonight and attempt to snatch out of the minds and hearts of these people the intention to go and find that secret place with you. And I pray against that spirit who is active at the doors of this building. And I say, no, in Jesus' name, you do not have power to do that. You do not have power to snatch that away. You do not have power over the secret place. Because your spirit is dead and the spirit of God is alive and is living and it's active. And so we receive it tonight and we embrace it. That we would talk like you. That we would think like you. Because we become like you as we spend time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.